Hello, it's Wednesday the 29th of March in the year of our Lord 2023 and it's just coming up to half past three here in the UK. Today's guest, I am over the moon and I've actually messed up a couple of times because we were supposed to do this show a couple of weeks ago and I had lots of drama going on and we I missed the show. <laughs> but he's very kindly decided come up coming back on today and it's the one and only Dr. Chan Abraham from um, the Leadership International. And Dr. Chan is a leader uh, within, the within the Christian community and very much focusing on family and other things. So without further ado, Dr. Chan Abraham, hello. Lou, good afternoon. It's great to be able to join you on your podcast. I think you're doing an amazing job. You know, in, during times of war, it's been people on the radio who kept the spirit of the resistance alive. And I have a real sense, though, that as, as you have come through lots of challenges yourself, you are presenting a voice of hope and encouragement to many people who are listening to you. So well done for that. Thank you so much for your kind words. Now, I found out about you through Kimberly because you're putting on a conference. And I think it was a couple of weeks just before we did our very first podcast of them. Um, and it was up in Hemel Hempstead, which my family are sort of like around in that neck of the woods. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it. But the girls were up there. And then my dear friend, Daisy, who baptised me, she mentioned you as well. And finally, we're here we are discussing. So before we go straight into things like current affairs, could you give my listeners a bit of background, a bit of a bio on, on yourself, Dr. Chan, please? I, I'm really happy to do that. And we don't want to take uh, too much time on this, but I, I'm, I suppose we are all the sum total of our experiences. I am the uh, seventh child of a Silanese, a Sri Lankan family. Uh, we moved here in the early 1960s. My dad was a serviceman in the British Army in Palestine in the Second World War, a decorated war veteran. And I come from a family of people who absolutely love uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can't be a Christian uh, just because of your parents any more than you're a car because you live in a garage. So I came to faith in, uh, in my early teens, and I've been following the king ever since. I've had a, a varied um, commercial experience. I've worked in public services. I've worked uh, in uh, the commercial world. I've set up multi-million pound organizations. I've been in the charity sector, planted churches, done some media work raised a family, and I now have five small grandchildren under the age of nine. Oh, my. my passion is to encourage great leaders. So Leadership International is one of the uh, areas of my work. I started it in 1993 because I was appalled by the way in which people in leadership and all types of leadership were conducting themselves. So I've been seeking ever since to build a renaissance of leadership. I have a, a broad range of principles called Third Millennium leadership, which at the core has the idea of servant leadership. Now, I've been a, a CEO of a multi-million pound organization, but I made it clear to people that as important as any directors in the C-suite was, was the caretaker and the receptionist. And my approach has always been to say to people, you matter. And so for that reason, my company's uh, twice hit the number two spot on the 100 best companies to work for. Uh, because I believe that work should be something that people enjoy rather than endure. 
Whereas for most British workers, it's a Monday to Friday kind of dying. And so inspiration in the workplace is all important. I think that's even more important now. Ever since um, uh, a certain disease hit the nations and more and more people are working from home, uh, I think that there's something uh, fundamentally problematic about that because they're losing that sense of social skill and social interaction. Uh, but that's something that needs to be dealt with. Totally agree. Totally. And more recently, our passion has been to really address what's going on with the culture war in the West. Uh, you know, since 2020, I think a number of us have woken up to the fact that there is a massive war on humanity. It's a war on the family. And uh, the focus is on trying, actually trying to destroy the lives of children. So we're at the forefront of that battle. And uh, I'm sure that we'll talk about that in this podcast. Well, I do. I do definitely want to talk about that. So, but first, I'd like because I'm 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 a a a, a newly born again uh, Christian. I'm I'm hungry for people's stories and their their path with um, with their faith. Can you can you talk about some of some stories about you know your faith, and then we can kind of lead into to current affairs and what's going on at the moment? Yeah, I, I certainly can. So. I, I became a Christian, uh, a born-again, spirit-filled Christian when I was 14 and a half. Now, this was in the early 1970s. And at the same time, there was a, a great movement in America called the Jesus Revolution. And in fact, a, a fantastic film has just been uh, made on that uh, with the star of Frasier, actually, uh, in it as the, the, the pastor who was leading it. And this was... This was an amazing time because hippies in their thousands came to faith in Christ. And there was a spin-off here, not because of that, but because the spirit of God moves universally and can't be checked. And uh, a number of people in my age group came to faith. I was at a grammar school, a boys school, and I began to lead a Christian union five days a week. So, uh, saw many boys come to faith, were baptized with us. And I went on, uh, I decided not to go to university. My dad died when I was 15 and I felt I needed to, to really provide for my mum. Uh, and always I thought that I would be a preacher because I was preaching. Uh, and in fact, the Lord took me on a road which was both to preach and also to be in the business world. And so my journey of faith has been one where I believe that people should worship together and I also believe we ought to be real people in the real world uh, where our faith has an impact in the world around us. It's no use being a Christian on a Sunday and then on a Monday being just like everybody else in the office or the factory or the school or wherever we may be. So uh, over these years, what I've always wanted to do is to ask the Lord to help me to make Christian life practical, tangible. Now that means that means a number of things. It means being able to live in such a way that every day I feel inspired so that other people around me can. And, and, and that's how I live with a, a generally uh, positive, optimistic outlook, despite all the horrible things that are going on and a number of challenges in my own life. But also believing that uh, faith needs to be practically backed up by power. So wherever we go, whether we're in the street, uh, at a checkout, 
we'll always be ready to share our faith with people. And what that means, it's, it doesn't mean preaching at people. It means finding out where they're at and helping them to uh, understand that there is a better way, there is, there is hope. And I'll ask people directly if they have a problem. If I see someone limping along the street, can I pray with you? Because I believe in a God who heals. And sometimes people say yes, sometimes they say no. Um, in terms of uh, perhaps one of the stories that is worthwhile knowing is that how faith works out. So in the uh, late 1990s, when new labor came in, a lot of people thought that with the end of the, the Thatcher uh, government uh, and John Major, that there would suddenly be a phenomenal uh, injection of funds into one of the areas I was in, which was in housing. And uh, Tony Blair made it clear that was not the case. And so what I did, and I had no prior experience of this, I raised 100 million pounds, had a massive consultation exercise with uh, thousands of social housing tenants and set up a new company to buy all of the local authorities' housing stock, 8,000 homes, in order to create a better home uh, and a future for these people. And for 20 years, that's exactly what I did, wow. helping people who were council tenants to know that they were as valuable as anybody who uh, they thought was in a different class from them. And so these were people, and it's the area where I live. Uh, they, they see me in the street and they didn't have to call me anything special. They call me Chan. And, uh, I, and I, so I have, faith for me has been being as comfortable going to the house of Lords, having lunch with the Lord and sitting on a filthy floor with a poor woman and her children who had nothing and being able to talk to them. And that is as the chief executive as, as well as, as being a pastor. So, um, but the, you know, the, they came for me because I was, everything I was doing was uh, an antithesis to the way in which the Marxists run the world because mine was an independent company. It was uh, free of any kind of public funding. It was doing tremendous things. We built the very first nurses accommodation in Cambridge without any public sector funding. Wow. And clearly this was upsetting a lot of people. So eventually they did come for me and uh, I had to, to reorientate my life and begin to reinvent, uh, not reinvent myself because I've not changed, but to, to come out of the commercial world. Uh, which is what I've done. And, but even in that, I see the hand of God because now being independent, um, I, can, I can speak very freely. I always spoke, spoke relatively freely anyway, but even more so now because uh, we are in, it's almost mortal combat now with the enemies of humanity. So faith for me has meant being practical, being uh, clear, always being bold to articulate what we believe, being fearless, in order to stand, ultimately stand against every bully that would come against us and to say that um, you can only come so far and no further. And, you know, as Edmund Burke has said, all that it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And exactly. so part of my mission is to try and raise up a force in this nation and across the nations that will, on the one hand, be great leaders, because I train and mentor leaders, uh, and also to have just ordinary people rank and file, knowing that they can be empowered to make the difference right where they are. Absolutely. That is what, what an incredible story. 
I mean, they really did come for you, didn't they? I mean, if you had to, if you had to close everything down and all the work, I mean, how did the people that, you know, who you'd helped, how did they feel when they could see what was going on? Well, it's, it's too much of a long story to go into here, but what, what is happening in, in the, in the housing association movement, which accounts for a huge amount of public housing and phenomenal public investment is that there's a lot of corruption in it's the deep state basically and it's cultural marxism because what they're seeking to do is to get all of the housing associations into big groups one what that does it it takes away all local accountability so in 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 my group companies i had tenants on the board so that tenants could actually influence what was being said and what was being done about their house. I'd have Saturday morning conferences where you'd have a couple of hundred tenants come into our conference room and you know I'd, I'd feed them and give them an inspirational talk. And most importantly, they could talk to me as the chief executive about whatever their problem was. Now, that I think is, is the difference between what I was doing and the whole ivory tower approach. Most leaders whether they're politicians or business leaders, chief executives, they don't want to to be accountable to the ordinary man or woman in the street. Um, I'm hearing now that a lot of local MPs are not answering the letters of their constituents. I know that's the case because I've written two hours. And yeah, I, I can, well. can concur to that as well. Like I can, I have as well. So I can yeah. agree. I totally agree. They just don't bother. They don't want to stand accountable. And you're completely right. I mean, when I was back working with the column, we said about these major corporations, because nobody can be held to, co- you know, it's just the company. We'd have to start, these people need to be held accountable individually, you know, not not these corporations. And that's why they do it, because they can hide behind these big corporations and they don't want to stand accountable. Um, but moving on to, to now where we are, I mean, let's talk about the attack that is currently so obvious now on, on Christians and especially especially our children. But let's talk about the, the, the attack on Christianity at the moment. I watched a demo that Kimberly was at. She was there with Lawrence Fox. They were outside a pub somewhere in South London, I think, um, a couple of weeks ago. And they'd brought out Antifa in force. Uh, and this was just a quiet, you know, this was talking about um, the drag queen story hour. And what I noticed is someone stepped forward and started saying the Lord's Prayer. And my gosh, they didn't like that. They did not like, the Antifa mob did not like the Lord's Prayer being said. So Christianity is really, really under attack. Um, Your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, so many things. The first thing I would do to everybody in this nation is to remind them that this is a Christian nation. There's no question about that. The only reason... People are able to come from other countries and try and transform our country to the way they want it to be. The only reason people can protest in the streets is because this is a Christian nation. You know, people aren't uh, hot-footing it to try and get to Iran or Bangladesh or Pakistan. They're coming here. Why is that? It's because Britain has a long history of freedom, uh, freedom in the public space, freedom in the public square. And that is because of our Christian heritage. And so the first thing we need to remind people of uh, is to 
get them to understand the history of the nation. So, you know, if it is possible to have a reasonable, rational conversation with people, and, and I know it's difficult because so often they will speak in, in words of one syllable, they'd either use expletives or they'll use uh, derogatory terms uh, rather than engaging in rational debate. But first, point one is this is a Christian nation. Let's be clear about that. All our customs, our traditions are based on the Bible and our system of laws and jurisprudence uh, are all based around what Christians have believed over many years. But in, in relation to the attack then that's going uh, on at uh, in terms of what's happening with Christians, well, because now the government, uh, the police, and even the courts, the whole, the whole machine of state appears to be an appropriator by a very dark and anti-Christian, anti-human forces, actually, the... In, in situations like the one you've just described, I think we, we have to try and find a peaceable way of demonstrating use, or protesting using the law that's at our disposal. Now, that's very difficult because I've seen some of the uh, protests uh, outside libraries and the police have sided with the, uh, the people who are supporting the drag queen story hour rather than the parents. And that's a real problem that police appear to have been weaponized by certain elements in the state. And uh, that's got to change. So the one way forward, and this is only one way, two ways forward actually, one is through effective civil action, such as the one you've just described. There's an organization that we are actively involved in. There are several like this one, this one's called together hashtag together we've been out on the some of the, the protest marches you know no vaccine passports we go out with uh, on the streets handing out leaflets about cbdc that's the you know the central bank digital currency the painful cost of lockdowns the 50-minute lockdown zones all of this to try and raise the the awareness of people generally that's so i think that's one thing we need to do the other is that uh, Mandy and I, my, my wife, we go out on a regular basis into the streets and we sing. So I play the guitar, we sing together, share the gospel in a, in a simple, loving, kind way. And we're now working with groups of evangelists in the Peterborough area. And loads of kids come out, actually, uh, to help from the local church, some of the local churches. Actually, it's only from the black churches who are actively supporting some of the uh, still the mainstream of church life isn't aware that we need to be out in the streets. So point one, civil action. Point two, get the gospel out. Point three, change the world through the ballot box. And so we have become active with the Heritage Party. I've started a, a hub here in Peterborough. We're going to be um, having candidates in the local elections in this area. And we'll be having candidates, we plan to have a candidate in every single constituency across Britain, uh, because we have to change things through the ballot box. And let me say, Lou, if we find ourselves in government, and I'm in any way involved, one of the first things I'll do is to ask the chief executive and chairman of boards, of quangos, of NHS boards, to explain to me in five minutes what job they do. And uh, if they can't explain that, they'll have their B45. 
that is going to be the way we clear out a lot of this dross. There is no lack of money in the NHS. And I know because I've worked alongside them for years and years. What we have is an, uh, a poorly led, overmanaged, over-bureaucratized system. Yes. And as a consequence, nurses and clinicians are not getting to do their jobs. We've got a lot of paper pushers. And as I say, if they can't explain to me in five minutes, and I'm a businessman, uh, if they can't explain to me what they're doing, I'll thank them for their service and they'll be gone. They can go and do something more suitable. Yeah, yeah. Have you any, done anything with um, Sid Cordell? Because he's, he's got his Christian, the People's Alliance, Christian People's Alliance Party. Um, he seems to be doing quite well. I think they've gained another seat. Um, but you've got a lot of people who don't believe that uh, God belongs in law or politics, which is absolute nonsense. I've seen some very heated arguments with regards to um, God, Christianity being linked to politics and to, to law, which is nonsense. America was founded under that. And so was Britain. Our entire system of common law it was codified by King Alfred yeah. based on the law of Moses. And uh, without that, we would not have this sense of do no harm, love your neighbor as yourself. E even actually our rules under health and safety, health and safety gets a bad press, but the basic rule of health and safety, which is I am my brother's keeper, comes straight from Genesis and the murder by Cain uh, of his brother Abel. So the to anyone who's there's two arguments here. One is the the person who's not a Christian at all uh, may have some faith or no faith, and who says, "Oh, there's no place for religion." Uh, let's, let's use that term very broadly, but yeah. religion, God, faith in politics. And then you've got Christians who say, "Oh, Christians should not be involved in politics." Uh, they're both wrong. The reality is that Jesus Christ was actively involved in politics because the uh, religious leaders of his day were all the, also the politicians. He didn't call for insurrection against Rome, the Roman Empire, but in every other respect, he was uh, seeking to get people to understand that they needed to be actively influencing godly change in the world around them everything is about that and so um in, and our nation the um the 19th century really is the golden age of politics in britain because it's the time in which christians really began to influence change uh, social reform you know 40 years william wilberforce thomas clarkson bringing about uh, an absolute transformation with the ending of the transatlantic slave trade. And the ending of slavery then would have been as unheard of as the ending of abortion today. Yeah. Uh, they, they brought about a tremendous transformation uh, in the lives of the working poor. Uh, even Quakers like uh, Whitbread began to brew weak beer because the working classes were being killed by drinking enormous amounts of gin, which was highly toxic. Children were stopped from working long hours in the mills and from going up to, into chimneys. Um, Florence Nightingale and others introduced tremendous health reforms. Housing was brought in, sanitation, the sewers by Edward Bazalgette, 
William Wilberforce even started the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And they paved the way for uh, a better 20th century in the welfare state, which has caused its own problems. Uh, the trade union movement was started by Methodists. So most people don't understand that the benefits of the 20th century and the 21st, you know, everything that we've had, and now, of course, the exponential progress with the, the rapid advances in technology all arise as a result of Christian activity in the political world. And so I would say to people, well, I mean, the, the reality is if, if someone's giving you 30 seconds to give an answer, you know, if there's one particularly um, callous um, uh, presenter on, uh, on television who's, um, he, I won't say his name, but it ends, it ends uncensored, uh, who never gives his, uh, his guests an opportunity to speak. If you had 30 seconds, you'd never be able to explain this. But most people who say what we've just talked about, uh, about Christians not being in politics, really are being ignorant of their history. Uh, and if we could educate them a little bit more, if we could have a, a rational debate in the public space, then I think we could make some progress. Yeah, but that's unlikely to happen. Because, I mean, this is, we, you know, we're going to move on to what's going on in the schools and to our children, because they are really going full pelt for our children. Um, they are stripping away the innocence of our most precious, precious thing. Um, they're more focused on the younger ones than they are sort of like the secondary school kids. Um, the children are being taught that two men can have children. They are talking about disgusting sexual acts to avoid pregnancies. Um, what's going on here? I mean, this is this is this is this is satanic. This is Sodom and Gomorrah, is it not? It, it is, and um, we've clearly set out. I'll mention this in the manifesto of the Heritage Party that while uh, people can do whatever they want to in the privacy of their ho own homes, adults, I mean, that. It is not appropriate. The reason we, we are not in support of what's wrongly called gay marriage is because it leads to the adoption of children. And it is not fair on children. I'll just take this one issue first of all. It's not fair on a child to be brought up by same-sex parents because it never gives them a fair and balanced view. And all the research uh, that's come out of the States, because they are ahead of us on this, is it indicates that the children brought up in same-sex unions fare much worse educationally than their, their peers. They have much higher levels of mental ill health and the rate of suicide is much higher. So there is, there is sufficient empirical data for us to say, this is just not the way it's meant to be. Um, you, you may or may not know, but in, in 1967, 68 and 69, that's, that was an era called the permissive 60s and permissive legislation. 67 was the Abortion Act, 68, the Homosexual Law Reform Act, and 69, the Marriage Act. And they were all designed on the surface to adapt to change in culture. Now, the Homosexual Law Reform Act was specifically written decriminalize homosexuality 
and it, it basically said that um, homosexual activity was permissible between uh, uh, two adult men consenting in private. That has proved to be the thin, thin end of the wedge, as indeed the issue around abortion and then marriage has, because abortion has become abortion for convenience on demand. 227,000 children lose their lives because someone said it was their right to choose. Uh, with regard to marriage, and this is not in any way an aspersion of people who have challenges in marriage, because marriage is a challenge. But nevertheless, it is the best way between a man and a woman uh, for children to be brought up. And now we have um, marriages really of convenience. And more and more children now are born in cohabiting relationships. So there is that sense in which, well, how long will this relationship last? And when it comes to sexuality, this was all part, always part of a roadmap, which would lead to heterosexuality being, being seen as being firstly on a par with homosexuality and then being downgraded. And now we've got, we've got into the very, it's, it's the very end of the road almost with um, everything and anything goes. And children can be chemically castrated and have their breasts hacked off uh, and, uh, and have puberty blockers all of which is appalling because we know that the human brain does not form fully until we're 25. And then to the, the point you're making, which is the full onslaught on children in schools. Children are extremely vulnerable. They are our most precious asset. They are our future. And the, the Bible is very clear that for anybody who causes offense, does anything horrible to a child, it would be better for a millstone to be hung round their neck and to be cast into the sea. And there is a terrible judgment awaiting all of those who are perpetrating that. So I believe that the time has come for all people of good goodwill and good faith to stand up and be counted and to say, this has gone far enough. We need now to roll back control of the state, the denial of the rights of parents, the um, uh, everything that came into this, into onto our statute books without us knowing it back in 2017, uh, which is now, we're now seeing it full-blown RSE in schools. This has got to be changed. It's got to be challenged. And I know it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of violence on the other side. Uh, and the first act, as it were, in Wales didn't go, it, it was good in terms of public opinion, the court of public opinion, but the judge ruled in the way that the judge did. And we need to win that in Wales. Um, the Scottish National Party will implode, that's for certain. And the result of that, I believe, is that the Heritage Party in Scotland and probably the Scottish Family Party uh, will begin to rise and help to take back Scotland. And we need to see the same thing happening right across this country. So it's a... It might seem a long shot politically, but 2024 is very important. We need uh, to regain uh, sensible politics and begin to roll back these laws. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're, 2024, I mean, I, I think God's making his move. I think we're going to see some wonders because I just I can feel it. I feel he's making his move and anything is possible with him. You know, mm. anything. 
you know, like the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, I what I do listen to a lot of the prophetic word, uh, Robin Bullock, uh, Julie Green has been on the show, as has Deborah Williams. And they're all in agreement that this year is everything is going to change. He's going to turn it up on his head. You know, and the world is shaking right now. The, the, you know, geographically, there's so there's different storms going on, weathers. Um, all to, I don't know. I just feel there's something huge coming for the end of 23 and, and as you say, into 24, biblically, biblically. And uh, I just hope that our children, it's not going to be too late for them because the horror stories that we're hearing at the moment um, is horrendous. But we're being censored as well, um, Dr. Chan, because we're doing these podcast-a-thons. Kimberly should be everywhere. She's not just fighting for the children of Wales. She's fighting for every single child in this country. Yeah. And we've done these fundraisers. And I sit there and I'm like, I cannot believe that we are having to sit here and beg people for money for this cause when people are... They're sending money to the BBC for the Pudsy Bear. I mean, we know the story behind that. The cancer research that isn't curing anybody of cancer. The things are just going up. They're not looking at natural remedies. You know, they're, they're shoving all these money into these causes. And we're sitting here begging for people just to spare a fiver of the money. And then you've got to post, where are the fathers? Yeah. Where are the fathers? I am a strong believer in... Children need two parents. They need the father image. They need, you know, they need that family unit, the male energy, you know, the discipline. That's what they need. Then the mother's there to wipe away the tears. They've just been destroying since Blair era, destroying the family unit, making it impossible for people to stay together. But as soon as they're separated, the mother's going to get a house. Or the, whoever's looking after the kids going to get the house. They're going to get the payouts. But then that comes with we're at home, we're stressed, then they get prescribed Prozac. Um, it's been a total destruction of the family unit. And this is, I think, the way this has all been able to slip in. Um, yes, that's right. I, why in fact, why do we have to? Why, my, my question is, is we shouldn't have to be begging from people to support her. Like, and we are censored everywhere. You know, even big news organisers like GB News won't have Kimberly on and they use the excuse, oh, it's because there's a current court case. Do you think Kimberly's not knows what to say as if she's going to disrupt her own court case? Yeah. And I mean, the government have already in, imposed 75,000 in costs. Yeah. So they've got the weight of the people's money behind them. Yes. And there was Paul Diamond, what a hero. And then lovely Darren, Catherine's partner, has yes. been the solicitor doing the solicitor work, and it's on. It, and all this is loaded on five parents' fa shoulders. It it is extraordinary. The, these these are phenomenal women. Let's just turn to the issue of men. Yeah. When the men rise up, and they are, you know, it, it's the Mis Les Miserables song. You know, the, the sound of angry men. Uh, that's going to change things, and in our prayer group our intercessors group one of the points that i've been praying into for um, more than a year now is the raising up of true masculinity of manhood and of men because there has been an outright attack on men since the 1960s and that's what feminism has done 
we've never needed feminism. We've needed everyone to recognize that we are all equal in the sight of God, but we have different functions, different responsibilities. And the primary role of uh, a man in a family situation is to protect and to provide. And exactly. a woman's is to raise the children and to create that warm, loving home. And the two together, the two can't be without each other. I mean, single parents do a tremendous job. It's the hardest job in the world. It both, is. Honestly, yeah. and I feel I've done my children a disservice. You know, it's that I've done my utmost but it is the hardest job it's the most best job you know you're you're but it's god it's the hardest job it is the hardest job being two parents you need that male energy you really do yes the, the you see marriage itself is is a healing process because and although it's not for everybody what happens when two people come together is that the healing this is an extraordinary thing, the healing of their lives begins because they begin to blend together. Uh, and that's why the Bible says the two will become one flesh. It's not only in terms of sexual union, it's the joining of heart and mind and spirit. And that produces strength in a community, in a society. And all the studies, all the studies of great empires that have fallen, uh, the, the greatest in living memory and recent memory is the Roman Empire, is that they fall for two reasons. One is the family is dissolved and the other is that there's sexual depravity. And this country has both of those symptoms now. So uh, good on people like Jordan Peterson what he's doing in strengthening men and helping men to believe in themselves. But beyond that, we need, uh, we, we certainly need churches to, uh, to be stronger in the way in which they teach and train and encourage men. And the, in, in terms of being banned and raising money, let, let me say two things, which I hope will encourage. Firstly, you mentioned the, the question of parting of the Red Sea. In the Hebrew scriptures, yes. water is used as for re different reasons. But whenever it's seen in the form of like the Red Sea, Jordan, water is a is a picture of, of chaos. And uh, and this idea of the, the chaos monster is all the way through the Hebrew scriptures and in, in antiquity. Yeah. So when when Moses separates. By the power of God the Red Sea, and this is spoken of again and again in the Psalms, it's an indication that God has tamed chaos. Mm -hmm. So every one of us needs to know that although the world is chaotic, it's utterly chaotic, God stills the chaotic waters. And Jesus, that's why when Jesus did it, when there was a storm on Galilee, it was more than just a normal storm. He, he the, the Greek indicates that he was actually speaking to something, you know, be muzzled, be still, be silenced. So that's, first of all, I, I want to encourage listeners to know that we can speak directly into the chaos around us, as well as to petition God, our father, to say, Lord, Lord, just give us peace through this, help us to find the way. Because, you know, when they went through the, the waters of the Red Sea, uh, they, can you imagine what it was like? There on both sides, there was this raging torrent I've been to the Red Sea. I know what it's like. I've been to the Jordan. I've been to Galilee. And they would have had this, this 
huge wall of water on either side. And so it, it could have been quite threatening. You imagine what it's like when you go to a place like SeaWorld or somewhere and you, you, know, you, you see the water there. Well, this would have been pretty, pretty rough, I think. Yeah. So God will take us through the chaos and we need to believe. On the question of fundraising and, and being banned, and I know what that's like because I get shadow banned as well. And I have to be really careful. I know that stuff I put out, it doesn't, doesn't get to as many people I'd like. Um, I want to draw an analogy again with the ending of the slave trade and the Wilberforce campaign here. The, it was impossible. The idea that they would, that Britain would stop having slaves was impossible because it was so lucrative. There were so many vested interests, including the quote unquote church. Uh, because there was a lot of money coming into the Church of England uh, as, as a result of that. So what the way, one of the ways in which this campaign worked is that ordinary people in their homes became aware of what was happening. This is before, it's not just before the internet. There was no telephone. There was not even a, a proper newspaper system. There was a newspaper system of sorts. But people would communicate with handbills. Uh, they, uh, the Wedgwood factory uh, uh, produced pottery with that very famous uh, emblem, am I not uh, a man and a brother? And the other thing was that women were significant in bringing about the change because they made all the purchasing decisions in their homes. So they decided to stop buying coffee and sugar. And that had a big impact because that, began, you know, the household began to recognize that something was happening and then they cut the money off. It was a sanction, basically. And word of mouth spread and people began to understand that something very rotten was happening. Because there were slaves everywhere. There were black people doing this, that and the other. And it was a 40 year campaign. The people who mostly resisted, of course, were the big wigs in Parliament. So. The difference today, and this is a real difference, is that since, 90, since 2020, uh, so many people have been bemused by Project Fear and are burying their heads in the sand. And so as a result of what happened with the virus, anything else that seems to challenge the status quo is problematic. And this is true for Christians, and the Christians aren't a huge number, but for many other people as well. So I, I believe things are going to happen in this year and i believe this is a year of new things one is that the lid is going to be lifted in all sorts of ways and that evil people are going to be exposed and will start exposing each other in in, in different places and that despite the bbc being so woke and such a mouthpiece for evil propaganda it will have no alternative other than to start publishing information about, about what's going on. I mean, did you know that um, Prince Charles, Prince Charles, that's not his name, is it? Anyway, that chap. Um, uh, I say that because I don't think he can genuinely take the coronation oath. He's I, already, don't, I don't either. I completely yeah, he's let the I don't think it will happen. I don't think it's going to um, happen. He's done too many things that are repugnant to the people. But he was due to go to France. And apparently, when they told him uh, that... This was not going to happen. He said, "Why?" Well, they said, "Oh, there's there's problems on the streets." He said, "Well, I haven't seen anything on the BBC." So, because the BBC, just as uh, what they're doing with Ukraine, are not telling people what's going on, 
he had no idea. And I believe that is the, 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 uh, the tip of the iceberg of what's going to happen. The other is that more and more people are going to become alive and awake to what's happening as a result of practical action, you know, stuff that many of us are doing on the streets uh, and with our different social media posts and your podcast, people are just going, it's going to happen just as it did between 1800 and 1840. And although we haven't got 40 years, it's got to be done much more rapidly. Yeah. But the difference is that we have the energy, the Greek word is dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do it. And the, the other Greek word is we have the authority, the exousia. So authority is what Jesus gives us in the spiritual realm to bind dark forces, to stop them speaking their evil words into people's uh, minds and ears, and to start setting people free. And the more that we, even if we are a small number of people, the more that we pray effectively, speak with authority, and exercise the power, I do believe we'll see the waltzes of the Red Sea part. I do. I do as well. I mean, there is this great revival going on. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the Jesus revolution. Um, I fell in love with the chosen. I can watch it over and over again. I cry every time. And I think Dallas Jenkins, he's, I know they're getting a lot of scrutiny at the moment. And I think it's quite unfair because he's, you know, he's worked really hard on this. And uh, I think he's done an incredible job. He's outstanding. And it's interesting so that the chap who plays Gaius uh, put a really lovely, long post, a tribute to Dallas. Um, and uh, uh, he was saying uh, Dallas's success is a 23-year overnight sensation. And that's an interesting point, you see, because Dallas Jenkins is a man who is, he's, he's, he's hit rock bottom, uh, a, a, a really big Hollywood-funded film that he made, absolutely bombed, and he was facing the, the total end of his career. And he just, he just gave it all to the Lord. And he has been so greatly repaid and he, yes, he does get, he gets, he, he gets criticized. I've been criticized actually by people who, who've been, because I've planted churches and people have been, you know, who I've led and they're saying, why, why are you supporting this guy? You know, he's, he's, he's in link with the, the Mormons. Um, and so that's the reality of it. As you said earlier, there are Christians who will criticize one another and uh, there's all sorts of nonsense going on. I think we just need to stay in our lane, keep yeah. focused on Jesus know that uh, we're not going to say a bad word about anyone. We're not going to criticize people. Uh, that doesn't mean to say we won't speak straightforwardly and very directly if we disagree with someone, but we'll keep our hearts pure in everything that we do and stay free of resentment, stay free of criticism of others, negative criticism, I mean, um, constructive stuff is good and we'll win through, you know, keep, if we can keep pure hearts, we will always have uh, strength to wield the sword of the spirit in prayer. Absolutely. This has been so, I don't know, oh, I'm really, I'm so pleased we've done this and I would really, really love to do this again. I mean, you've agreed to come onto the podcast on in, in April, which is fantastic. We're really happy you're going to do that. And Kimberly and uh, Catherine, and Catherine wanted to be here today, but she had a, a family commitment. But I really do hope we can do this again because it's been absolutely brilliant. And you should do your own podcast. You really should. 
Yeah, I have. I've thought of it. I mean, I, I, I do a little bit of video work. The, the thing is, I'm very, I'm very thinly stretched. I've always, I had a prophecy many years ago that I would be able to do more with less time, and and that is that's true. Um, the at the moment, I'm thinly stretched because I've now taken on the running of a section of the Heritage Party okay. because we we have got to we've 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 got to hit the political world hard. But yes, I agree with you. Um, the, these are messages that need to get out to people, um, because my fundamentally my job is to inspire change. I people say, "What are you a doctor of?" And I say, "I'm a doctor of inspiration." You um, are though. You've inspired me today. You really have, really have uplifted me completely. Well, that's good. Uh, that's good, Lou. And you know the, you know the old. Uh, Maxim, which is true, it's always darkest before the dawn. We are in a very, very dark period. I have never known a period in life. Even this winter has been a very dull, depressing winter. Uh, and there's because we were locked down for two years, there's more and more illness around, which we're having to cope with. But I believe in a God who answers prayer and provided we stay on his side, we, we know how the story will end. But, but there may be, there will be casualties along the way. And you see, here's the great thing. I really believe that as you hold fast, you have persevered through all sorts of trials and tribulations. But the great thing is you've, you've, put your, you've sunk your anchor deep down into the sea of God. So he's going to hold your ship steady in all the storms of life. And as you focus on him, uh, little by little, you'll see your prayers uh, coming to fruition. So um, when I see you in person, I will give you, I won't give the story now, but I'll give you, you may not believe this, a golden acorn, and I'll tell you the story about it. Fabulous, I can't wait. Well, I do hope we meet soon. I mean, I'm up and down to Hertfordshire, so we have to sort that out at some point. How can people follow all your work? And uh, is there anything people can do to help? I mean, send us the logo. We can put something up onto the website on the front page and people can go directly to you. Uh, but how do people get in touch? Well, uh, uh, folk can find me uh, with uh, under my name, Chan Abraham on uh, Facebook. I love to connect with people there. You can find me on LinkedIn under Dr. Chan Abraham. Uh, you can go on to my, there's a Facebook Daybreak Ministers and Revival Now site. There is my Leadership International website, uh, leadershipinternational.co.uk. And I have a, a couple of YouTube channels. If you, if you look for Dr. Chan Abraham, subscribe there, give me a thumbs up. That will be great. I, I do a lot of, uh, and especially during COVID, I was doing a lot of very small, quick um, uh, videos to just keep people's spirits up. So, uh, and some of that, is, it's, it's good content because... I also do put um, stuff up which is educational in terms of leadership, being a great manager, uh, bringing someone who can inspire others. Uh, and, um, and I do a lot of thought leadership in that area. So all of those are, um, there's a lot of content. I have a very, uh, a very uh, large digital footprint. So I'll never, I'll never be able to hide if they come <laughs> looking for me. I know it's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. And I do hope we can do this again uh, and have Catherine join us as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you take care. Can I pray with you before we go? Yes, please do. Please yeah. do. Yeah, Lord, I, I really thank you for your love for us and the amazing opportunity that we have. We know these are, these are really challenging times, extraordinary. Paul said they, that in the last days, perilous times would come, uh, times of great pressure, and we're there. But we thank you that with that comes the uh, city and the competence from Holy Spirit's presence to overcome all the challenges. So I want to pray now, especially first of all for Lou, that you will bless her in all that she's doing. Lord, I pray you'll protect her, that you'll provide for her all that she needs, the finance, the friendship, and the fellowship. I pray for her children, Lord, for her son and daughter, that blessing will rest upon them, that both will be in the grip of your grace. Pray for this podcast, that it will begin uh, to reach people. It'll be, Lord, like the Heineken advert, reach places that others can't and begin to influence change. Pray for Kim, Kimberly, Lord, and all the team in Wales, that they will have amazing success. Lord, let Wales be the first domino to fall for the kingdom along with the rest of the United Kingdom. And may Britain, may Great Britain, begin to be a light to the rest of the nations again we pray so be with us father uh, as we uh, separate now until we meet again in jesus name amen amen thank you so much so much and that's coming from kimberly and Catherine as well and all of us here at liberty tactics dr chan abraham i can't wait to have you back on thank you so much thank you lou god bless you all god bless all your listeners Thank you. We're not afraid. Terrors of night, arrows that fly by day. Ten thousand may fall. Under the shadow of his
Thunder, tearing through the sky and wonder, just like we. 